Fantastic stuff. All right, let's go to. I don't think we've got any text messages. Have we got any text messages here? Let me just see here. Uh, oh, okay, we do, we do, we do, we do. Uh, Joe Biden and Catherine Lamont. It shouldn't be surprising that even that it even makes sense that Biden, a Catholic, selected someone who hates Christians. Did you hear the U.S. news yesterday? Biden said he doesn't believe that democracy can't survive in the world today. Uh, I totally agree with you. We should be very afraid. Uh, you simply said that the word of God prophesied. Simply said, what the word of God prophesied for these last days, and it's true. This is what the Bible says. That mm. the Bible says that you know, basically, when you read Revelation thirteen, you know that the U.S. Constitution cannot survive Revelation thirteen. Mm. It's that simple. Anyway, the balm, the word of God, proven true again. Not surprising, really, for the believers. Another reason uh, to believe for unbelievers. Sure. And then a guess for the quiz, which was right. <laughs> All Good right, job. great stuff, great stuff. All right, love to hear from you guys. If you've got any comments you'd like to share, anything you'd like to share on the Bible study so forth, uh, send us a text message. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Or give us a call. Mm. You want to have a chat on air with an open line? You, know, you can have a conversation with us. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, I've been getting out last week because it was the first week which in which we could get out. Yes. Meeting a number of different people who are like, oh, Lawson, good sh- job on the breakfast show. And I was like, whoa, cool. Like people I didn't know <laughs> listen to our show. Yeah. So, dude, that's awesome. I was like, oh, thank you so much. They're like, yeah, I listen every morning. I'm like, well, then text in for the quiz. Yes. Get involved. You enjoy the show so much. Get involved. Dude, totally. Uh, more than 30 years ago, probably 30, we went to visit friends in Bundaberg. They took us to visit an area where dinosaur footprints and human footprints are next to each other on rocks. So much for millions or billions of years between the two. The word of God proven true yet again. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Up there in Bundaberg somewhere. Dinosaur and human footprints side by side. Try and figure that one out. All right. Let's go to our Bible study for the day. Uh-huh. And seeing as we are studying the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Oh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 10 is where we are going today. We've got a passage here to look at. Uh, we have 11 verses from Deuteronomy chapter 10 is our Bible study for today. And we are going to be looking at, well, um, the stranger in your gates. Oh, okay. Is this the... The stranger in your gates. This is an interesting Bible study to have during COVID when we're not allowed to have strangers in our, within our gates. Well, we are, given they're vaccinated... Jab strangers only. Yeah, that's right. Or, you know, immediate family or, you know, there's some kind of rule for it. I don't think immediate family is not a stranger, are they? Yeah. But what if it's like you're estranged immediate family? Yes. That could count. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're estranged immediate family. Mm-hmm. I think most of us have at some particular point some estranged immediate family, whether uh, for reasons of conflict or not. Mm. I know that um, lots of family on my mother's side are estranged to me because my mother died when I was young and sort of we lost contact with that side mm. of the family. There's no antagonism whatsoever at all. Whenever we I bump into people from that side of the family, it's always amazing. Mm. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and let's start reading in verse 1. Thank you, Lawson. And the Bible says, At that time the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first one, like the first ones. Also, make a wooden ark, a sacred crest to store them in. A sacred chest to store them in, sorry. Come up to me on the mountain. 
And I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the ones he smashed, then place the tablets in the ark. So I made the ark of acacia wood and cut two stone tablets like the first two. Then I went up on the mountain with the tablets in my hand. Once again, the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets and gave them to me. They were the same words the Lord had spoken to you from the heart of the fire on the day you were assembled at the foot of the mountain. Okay, so let's stop there and let's just take a moment to consider who's writing this. Uh, Moses. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's writing this book of Deuteronomy. He's writing this book of Deuteronomy. That wasn't what I was asking. Oh, but who's writing this? God. God. Yeah, that's right. It's the one and only part of the Bible that God actually physically wrote. Wow. Is the Ten Commandments. Mm. And it's the one part of the Bible that you find Christians will fight the most against Mm. these days. Have you ever stopped to think about that for a moment? The moment that you mention the law, it's almost like it's the whole concept of the law is an anathema to so many Christians. Now, I'm not saying all Christians. There are many Christians out there who love the law of God. I Mm. get that. But as soon as you talk about the law and loving the law and the law being an amazing thing and the law being a transcript of the character of God and the law being all about love and, you know, the law, the law, the law and all the positives of the law, people are like, you're a legalist. You're talking about the law. You shouldn't be talking about the law. I think especially in our context here in Australia, at least, you know, where like alongside the the Adventist church, you also have the fastest growing churches, particularly amongst youth, uh, in Australia are, you know, non-denominational churches who don't subscribe to a specific denomination or a set of beliefs and often fall into that category of being like, yeah, anti-law, you know, very, very pro-grace. And that's the thing. It's like not that we're anti-grace. No, I am equally grace and the law. That's you you right. have the two in, you, you can't have one without the other. What is the purpose of grace if there is no law? That's right. But for some reason, it seems within our situation here in Australia, it's like, man, there's just a lot of people, a lot of characters within the church who would like to make this very specific point that, oh, no, the law's done away with. We don't need to keep it. And I feel like it's just such a, it's just such a, like, it's such a, I want to say illogical. I, I just don't know why you would come to that conclusion because a person's experience of the law of God, you know, when it's mingled with faith and with grace and with everything that God gives us, uh, all the gifts that God gives us is one of the best things ever. Like the law is incredible. It is. It is. So let's stop and think about this for a moment. Um, let's do some quick math here for me. Do you have a calculator handy? Uh, yeah, I can get my phone out. I want you to add 236 to 73. Okay, 236 plus 73, 73. equals 309. So that's 309 places in the New Testament where I was just looking this up while Lawson was talking, where either the law or the commandments are mentioned. Mm. Do you know how many times grace is mentioned in the New Testament? How many times? 128. Oh. Okay. And we have, yeah, and, and, and you can go to church, you know, there's lots of churches where you can go to the church like your entire life and hear about grace and not hear about the law of God. To- dude, totally. And it just, it just kind of does my head in. It's like, why is there such an emphasis on grace and such a de-emphasis on the law of God? The law of God is spoken of twice as often in the New Testament 
as Gracie's. And it's so interesting because then... More than could, twice as often. Well, then you could say, oh, well, money is the most talked about thing in, in the New Testament. And so how about, like, why don't we just talk about money all the time? And and often it's counseling against money. Is that what happening in the Bible? And it's like, no. oh, no, it's like, so what are they saying about the law those 309 times? Well, Jesus says not one jot or one tittle will be removed for the law. One, Not one dash, not one comma, not one apostrophe, lest heaven and earth should pass away. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like it literally the fabric of the universe would collapse if the law passed away. And for the prosperity preachers out there, money is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Oh, wow. Okay. And how often will you hear money mentioned in church? <laughs> like ouch. a staggering amount of times. Ouch, yeah. ouch, ouch, ouch. Mm. So money is mentioned 35 times. The grace is mentioned 128. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. And the law is mentioned 309. So, well, which one should we spend more time talking about? And which one should we spend less time talking about? Dude, (laughs) totally. You know, switch on your TV on a Sunday morning sometime and see if you can find me a religious service that isn't asking for money. And it's like, I, I do want to say this, though, because asking for money isn't necessarily a problem. No, not at all. Because it's mentioned 35 times in the Bible. It's a positive thing. It's something we should do. T- dude, totally. Like All you, you need is one reference in the Bible. Sorry. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, point is, is like giving offerings to the church is like not a problem. Yeah. But what's the reason? And, and the reason that you give off, like a lot of those people asking money is that they say, oh, well... So yeah, no, well, they, they're being blessed, but they're like, if you sow a seed, and depending on how big that seed is, you'll reap. They're basically, they treat giving money to God as if it's like, you know, you buying Bitcoin or, that's right. Or, 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 you know, investing in stocks or something like that, which is not that look, the Lord isn't going to bless you if you're, yeah, yeah. if you're generous with your money. But at Absolutely. the same time, when you're, you know, playing on people's financial situations and they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, especially when you hear a preacher say, and I, I, I heard this clip on the weekend. From a, from a service where literally this preacher said, I know you don't have that $1,000 in your bank account, but you know what? God is good, so just give it to me. And I cringed so hard because the reality is, is that God owns everything and, and amazing things can be done. But again, preachers playing on the See, vulnerable this is, this, people. Oh, it's, it's, it's criminal and they should be just about locked up for it. But this is the thing that, that worries me. Mm. The Bible says lay up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. Yes. It does not say that. So the Bible does say that we should invest in heaven. Mm. No question about that. What the Bible doesn't say is that you will be able to draw down on that investment here on this earth. That's right. Your investment in heaven is an investment in people. The money that you invest in heaven does not mean that you become wealthy here on this earth. Mm. It means that you see more people in heaven. That's right. The investment in heaven is one that you that you reap in heaven. Yes, you reap it there, not here. <laughs> exactly. Why and why did you reap it there? Because because those people who are rich because of your donation will be there. Yes. So if you have expectations, if somebody's standing up and preaching, well, you invest your money here on this, you invest your money in heaven now and you will reap it here on this earth. No, mm. that's not what the Bible says and that's creating a false expectation. We're a little bit sidetracked here. But it's still getting back to this idea of law, grace, what the... And money. And money. 
But what the Bible, what is really important in the Bible? Yes. And as we can see here, there is a large emphasis put on the law of God, which was literally, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10, written, written down by, the, by God. Written by God. The only part of the Bible that we have, the only thing that we have on this earth that was actually physically written by God. Mm. And it's the one thing, it's like, oh, God wrote that. Let's do whatever we can to get it away with. Do away with it. Let's nail it to the cross. <laughs> let's let's smash it. Let's destroy it. Let's let's make it part of the Old Testament. Let's fight against it as hard as we possibly can. We don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, that kind of sounds every exactly... excuse that you can possibly come up with to get rid of it. The only thing that was written by God. It kind of sounds exactly like what the Pharisees did. How they were like, oh, let's put loopholes in the law. And I know that people who advocate in, for the law in this day and age are often called Pharisees because they're like, oh, you're just the legalists, like the Pharisees. And it's like, well, what were the Pharisees actually doing? They were the ones finding loopholes, loopholes. in the law, which loopholes. is kind of what you're doing. Yes, they found the <laughs> ultimate loophole is like, let's just get rid of the whole thing. <laughs> just throw it in the bin. <laughs> Just ditch it. The, I mean, really, that's the ultimate loophole. You don't have to have a million different loopholes like the Pharisees had. Mm. You just got one. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't even believe in it. <laughs> yeah, well, it is just bizarre. Anyway, let's get back to the passage. Where were we up to? We were. Uh, we just finished verse five. We just finished verse five, where it says, "I turned myself and came down from the mountain and put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be as the Lord commanded mm. me." And so now we think about, the, okay, so we've considered for a moment the fact that this is the only part of the Bible that was mm-hmm. written by God. Mm-hmm. Now let's consider where God put the Ten Commandments. Mm. Where did he put the Ten Commandments? In the ark. In the ark. Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. Uh, let, well, first of all, let's consider for a moment where Moses did not put the Ten Commandments. Sure. He didn't put them in anywhere in the courtyard of the sanctuary. Mm. Nowhere in the courtyard. Because in the courtyard of the sanctuary, you have the symbolism of the death of Jesus Christ. That's right. And so if the Ten Commandments were going to be done away with when Jesus died, if they were going to be nailed to the cross when Jesus died, then the Ten Commandments would have had to be put in the courtyard. Mm. Because the holy place and the most holy place of the sanctuary on earth have their counterpart in heaven. Yes. The heavenly sanctuary has no courtyard mm. other than this earth. There's no, you go to the, the sanctuary in heaven, there is, there is no altar of sacrifice in heaven because Jesus has already given his life for us mm. on this earth. Yes. And if you'd have placed the Ten Commandments in the courtyard, then when Jesus gave his life, it would be all over, it would be done, it would be finished, and there would be no Ten Commandments in heaven. Mm. But Jesus didn't. God didn't place them in the courtyard. Moses didn't place them in the courtyard. He took them inside, first of all, the holy place, and then all the way through into the most holy place. Mm. And by doing so, he placed them in the most permanent location it was possible to place them. Yes. You see, there's this illustration that I have that the Bible gives and I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. And that is that in our world, on our world, God has drawn a bullseye. Mm. And a bullseye is always a good thing because it's going to direct you to that which is most important. Mm. 
So let's think about the bullseye that we have here on this world. We have the world. That's the outer ring of the bullseye. And then you go in ring by ring by ring by ring by ring. And so uh, in this world we have, you know, the world, and in the world we have the Holy Land, and in the Holy Land we have the Holy City, that's New, that's Jerusalem. Then in the Holy City we have the Holy Mountain, and on the Holy Mountain we have the Holy Temple, and in the Holy Temple you have a courtyard, and then you have a holy place, and then you have a most holy place, and the centerpiece of the most holy place is the Holy Ark of God, and the centerpiece of the Holy Ark of God is the Holy Law of God. You see what God's doing here? He is directing, he is focusing our attention. When he talked about the holy place and the most holy place and then the holy ark of God, he is focusing our attention on the holy law of God. Mm. This is what it was built for. This is why the Bible says, if you go over to the book of Revelation, let me go over, let's go over to Revelation chapter 11 very quickly. Revelation chapter 11. And let's find out what there is in heaven. Revelation 11 and verse 19. Revelation 11 and verse 19, and the Bible says this. Then in heaven, the temple of God was open and the ark of the covenant of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flash, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and terrible hailstorm. Okay, so here we have a description of the temple in heaven. Yes. John sees the temple open. Mm. And what does he see inside of it? The Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Ark of the Covenant. The original one, the one that God made. Mm. Not the one that Moses made or that Bezalel made more precisely. Mm. Uh, Not that one, not at all, which is just sort of like a very faint kind of vague copy representation of the great original that is in heaven. Mm. He sees the Ark of God in heaven. What is the purpose of the ark? For what reason was the ark built? Now, of course, this ark that we're talking about is not Noah's ark. That was a boat. This one's a box. Mm. Well, Noah's ark was probably a bit box-like anyway, but whatever. Uh, this this one is quite different from that. Um, it is a box to contain the Ten Commandments. It only has one purpose, mm. and that is to contain the Ten Commandments. And here you have right down at the very end of time, the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen the ark of his testament, the ark of his commandments. It's it's really simple. You can't do away with the Ten Commandments. Why would you even try and get rid of the law of God? What part of the law of God do you dislike so much that you want to get rid of the law of God? I mean, I read the law of God. It's all about love. It's all about love to God. It's all about love to each other. I just don't see the problem. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We just had a text message uh, here. Just wanted to, to uh, read this one for you real quick. What well, great questions and answers on last Friday's The End. Digital. Can't wait mm. to tonight's presentation. A shaking to the biblical beliefs of many people. Yes. And so this is one of the things that we, this is one of the reasons why we like to have live question and answer time. It's so that you can send your questions in. And at the last one, we did not get time to cover a lot of your questions. And so we have saved them until this Friday night. Mm. And so we will try and get to all of your questions. We don't want to leave any of them out. Send in any question that you want, uh, to the live Q and A. Uh, our question and answer sessions tend to be some of the most popular sessions that we do on the N. Digital. We always enjoy listening to what you have to say. So do send your questions mm. through. We enjoy it very much. 
Dude, and as well, like I, um, I have some, a, a, a particular friend who I study with. He's been catching some of the end digital, um, um, presentations as well. And he's just been going to, dude, he's like, bro, my mind was so blown. Like, I love that point that was made, the shakening of many people's beliefs. You know, he's grown up as a Christian in Malaysia, like devout Christian from a Christian involved family. And he's hearing these messages and he's like, I I just didn't even know the truth. Like the Bible really says this. So powerful stuff uh, that you can get involved with. So yeah, head over to the Facebook page, the end dot digital. Fantastic stuff. Or the YouTube channel, you can go there mm. as well, and you can find all of our past presentations right there. All right. So uh, another text message here. We all know the problem in the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath. If it wasn't for the Fourth Commandment, no one would try and get. Do it I don't know. I kind of hate my parents no, no. too. <laughs> Whatever. You have, like, the most awesome parents on the planet. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's just think about this for a second then because Christians hate the the fourth commandment, atheists hate the seventh commandment, secular people hate the seventh commandment. You know, if it wasn't for those two commandments, nobody would dislike the ten commandments. Oh, totally. The majority of the Christian world doesn't believe in creation week where God gave us the Sabbath rest. That's a fact Mm. Uh, with compliments from the theory of evolution fraternity. I pray that they will see the truth more before it's too late. A proclamation of the third angel's message. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And this is one of the reasons why we have Dr. John Ashton come on the show as we did this morning. This is the, one of the reasons why we have you know uh, Scott Devlin who's coming on on Thursday from mm. uh, Creation Ministries International. And, and that is to show that you don't have to be feel challenged by the theories of evolution because they are just theories. Mm. And they are historical science, and historical science is not based on the scientific method. Mm. Historical science is based on looking at the evidence and coming up with a theory as to how that may have happened. Yeah, that's right. But we don't. We need to not lose track of the fact that it may have happened. Mm. Also, what I ask you guys right now: if you have any questions of the day, any questions, any Bible questions, biblically related questions, church related questions, um, anything like that, maybe if it's a medical question, Lyle probably couldn't answer it. <laughs> but uh, <Nope>. <laughs> 0491064669 is the number to call. Send in your questions, or you can call us or text us. Send- medical questions we will refer, of course, on to the medical professionals who come on here on the show. David helped for uh, mental health and um, um, Paul Wood for... Our local GP. That's right. But, you know. Our station GP. Biblical questions, we have got you back. So, again, 0491064669. Give us a call or a text and we will we will answer your question on air. There's, I, I don't think we've ever refused a question. We just get it done. Even your challenges. We had challenge yes. of the day last Please, week. Send us which more. was literally like, I'll read this verse. And, I, no, I challenge you to read this verse. Yeah, on that's air. right. And you did. I, I love reading verses on air. <laughs> Give me any verse you want. Anything from the Bible, I will read it on air. <laughs> so, yeah, 0491 is the number to call or text. Uh, it's good to see uh, producer Magantha out there in the studio this morning yeah, as well. Killer job. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is joining us for today uh, on work experience, I mm. believe, from oh. university, something like that. Or just, just hanging out. Just, just get in amongst it. Absolutely. Fantastic mm. stuff. All right. Bible study time. We were in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let's head back over there again. And I think we read the first five verses. We've got a few more of these verses that we need to get through. So let's see what they all have to say. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Where did we get up to? Was it? No, 10. 
Yeah, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10. 10. I was so confused. I was like, this doesn't look like the same page. All right, let's start in verse 6. The Bible says, says in, verse six. in verse 6, the people of Israel set out from the wells of the people of Jakan and traveled to Mozarah, where Aaron died and was buried. His son Eliezer ministered as high priest in his place. Then they journeyed to Gadoga, uh, Gad and from there to Jopbatha, uh, a land with many brooks and streams. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and to stand before the Lord as his ministers and pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day. That is why the Levites have no share of the property or possession of the land among the other Israelite tribes. The Lord himself is their special possession. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. This is so unique in the ancient world. Mm. This is a situation. I want you to notice what happens here. When God sets the Levites apart, he has created an entire one-twelfth of the population of his nation to take care of the spiritual needs of his nation. Not just the spiritual needs, but the social needs, the mental health needs, uh, the, even, the, even the medical needs of his nation. He set aside a whole tribe just to take care of that. And as a result of that, he's like, okay, I'm not going to give this any tribe any money. I'm not going to give them land. I'm going to give them cities that they can live in. And he gives them six cities to live in. But he doesn't give them land that they can make money from. Mm. And he establishes, the Bible goes on and shows how he establishes the tithe system where it is you know, 10% of the, of the income of the rest of the nation was to supply the needs of these people. Whereabouts else in the ancient world do you find full one-twelfth of the population who has been set aside to take care of the spiritual needs of the nation? Not at all. You just don't. Yeah. You just don't. You know, you go to Assyria, and yeah, you'll find a few priests and priestesses and so forth. Who are sacrificing babies and Doing stuff. Doing terrible things. Mm. Um, but then in the nation of Israel, the Levite's job was not just to be a priest in the temple. Mm. It was the sons of Aaron who were priests in the temple, but the entire tribe is set aside to serve God. Mm. And so these are the people who are going to be the teachers. These are the people who are going to be the ministers. These are the people who are going to take care of uh, the needs of the, um, the the people as far as you know their social needs. These are the people who are going to take care of the poor. Mm. They've been set aside for that work. They are to do the charitable work. These are the elders and deacons of the ancient church. Uh, these are the people who are to be there to provide community and support and emotional support for people that are suffering and in distress or are bereaved or whatever it might be. God has provided one-twelfth of the population just to take care of all of those needs. Mm. And this was why this this is this is God recognizing that we live in a broken world, and because we live in a broken world, we're going to have needs, and those needs need to be taken care of. All right, we didn't get to actually go all the way down to verse 11, but uh, you can all have that for homework. It's an amazing passage that we have to look at right here. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Then it's time for... Question of the day. We haven't given the answer to the quiz yet. 
We haven't. We don't we need probably to. Should give the answer. No, no, we no. Don't that's, need to? that's in the next section. Uh, we should give the answer. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Let's. All right. all right, let's go. All right, let's talk well, about the question of the day. The question of the day is: Why is Jephthah blessed by God for sacrificing his daughter? That's a really good question. He is not blessed by God for sacrificing his daughter. He's condemned by God for sacrificing his daughter. And people like to use this story to twist it around and to make it into something that it is not. What you're going to find in the Bible is that every single person in the Bible who is blessed by God has at some point, uh, well, pretty much every single person, there's one or two where there's no sin recorded against them, but at some point has done some really, really terrible things. I mean, you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You look at the terrible things that they did, and God Mm. routinely calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they all did really, really awful things. Then you've got the story of King David, and he was worse than Abraham, Isaac, and David. He's the one who is mentioned more in the Bible other than Jesus Christ, more than anyone else in the Bible other than Jesus Christ, and he did some of the worst of the worst things. Mm. And God repeatedly calls himself the God of King David. So why does God associate himself with people who do do terrible things? Why does the Bible speak of Jephthah in the book of Hebrews as being a man of faith? Well, it's not because of the terrible things that he did. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David are not mentioned as being men of faith because of the terrible things that they did. Mm. They are mentioned as men of faith because of the things that they did, which were acts of faith. And this is one of the things that we need to recognize is that the reason that God associates himself with these people is because these people, because of the terrible things that they did, are evidences of the power of his grace and his power to be able to save even people who do terrible, terrible things. Mm. So people want to know about the story of Jephthah, and it's really one of these most um, heart-sickening uh, stories that you'll find in the Bible. And Jephthah, he was a bit of a nobody. He was a bastard child. Um, he was illegitimate, and in that society that was that, that actually meant something. Um, and he was called by God to be a judge of Israel and to lead Israel in uh, uh, throwing off their enemies. They were, they, ha- they were heavily oppressed by their enemies at this particular time. And so he responds to the call of God, and he goes out in great faith, and Israel is outnumbered, and they are outskilled, and they are outstrategized, and they are out everything except that they have God on their side, and God gives them a great victory. And Jephthah, before he goes into battle, he makes a vow to God. And there is a lesson in this vow, a lesson that should never, ever, ever be forgotten. Mm. And he says, okay, when I get home, the first thing that uh, comes out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to God. And, of course, Jephthah's only got one child, so he's not talking about his children. He's got you know, lots of flocks and herds and you know, so, animals and so forth. And, of course, uh, the society in those days were, was that these animals literally, all of your animals actually literally lived in your home with you. Mm. You, would, you would share that space with them because that was how you protected them at night. That was how that you protected them from you know, being stolen and so forth. And you'd have you know, a large corral and you know, you'd have to build a wall around that. Well, if you're building a wall around that, add some more walls and live in that space yourself. And that's kind of how it was. I mean, I've seen people living like this in Ethiopia where literally uh, the cows live in the same building under the same roof. There's just a, a, a petition wall between the cows and the people. Mm. And so... Um, you know, that's a common practice even to this day. And he's like, yeah, okay, I've got lots of... Uh, and he didn't sort of think about the fact that actually he did have a daughter. But he's like, whatever comes out, when I go home, whatever's the first thing uh, through the front gate, uh, that I'll make a sacrifice of. Thinking, you know, this would be just, just a good random way of making a vow, but it was a very, very, 
very stupid thing to vow. Mm. Because now when he gets home and his daughter is the first um, the first thing, the first person, the first creature to come out um, and she's dancing and she's singing and she's rejoicing in his victory, now all of that joy that he has experienced at being victorious and uh, being successful and uh, being a man of faith and having experienced God's blessing is is all gone because now he's like, now I've vowed this vow. And the Bible says uh, in verse 36 that she, the daughter, said to him, My father, if you have opened your mouth under the Lord, do to me according to that which has proceeded out of your mouth, for as much as the Lord has taken vengeance for you on your enemies. And she said to her father, uh, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, and I may go up and down the mountains and bewail my, my virginity and my fellows. And he said, Go. And sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. It came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, and he did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. And so a lot of people say, okay, well, what did he do? Did he actually sacrifice her life? Uh, The evidence from the verse here is that he sacrificed her virginity, and so she stayed a virgin for the rest of her life. She never married anyone. Um, and so, you know, because you obviously can't take the life of somebody. Mm. And so this was a terrible, terrible thing for his daughter, and he should never have made this vow, but she surrendered to that vow. Anyway, there's some thoughts on Jephthah and Jephthah's daughter. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.